This is a Romy cast. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of The Walrus Was Paul, a series of podcasts hosted by me, Paul Romanuk. Join me, and let's take a stroll along the cast iron shore and peel off the layers of the glass onion with another great musical guest as we discuss their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo album. My guest on this episode is a returning guest, singer-songwriter Jerry Legere, and he's got a great new live album out, an EP called Live from Paradise, and we will talk to him about that as well as his album of choice for today, John. John Lennon's 1973 solo album, Mind Games, uh, an album that he loves. I'm lukewarm on. Uh, it uh, It was a, a good album. Didn't make number one, uh, made the top ten, but... Yeah, I've, some tracks I like, some tracks I don't, but uh, that is Jerry's choice for today, and we will delve into that album track by track. You can find out what Jerry is up to at his website, jerryleger.com. It is spelled, uh, Jerry is J-E-R-R-Y, and Legere is spelled L-E-G-E-R, jerryleger.com. And you can also find him on YouTube, uh, take a look at a, a bunch of his videos and listen to some of his output. He's on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, so all of the usual suspects on social media. The website for this podcast is romicast.com. That is R-O-M-Y-C-A-S-T dot com. If you head there, you can find each and every episode that we have done so far. This is the fifth episode of Series 3. Uh, you can find all of the episodes from Series 1 and Series 2, as well as Series 3, right there at the website or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can also listen to each episode Right on the website, there's a built-in player and a page for each single episode. Jerry Legere is a fine music success story. It's one of those musical success stories. It's still developing. I think the guy's going to get big, bigger than he he already is. Um, but it's it's kind of a nice story. About 20 years ago, give or take, he was working in a hardware store as well as being a jobbing musician, a hardware store actually not far from where I'm speaking to you from in East Toronto. Uh, he would occasionally, while working at that store, run into singer-songwriter Ron Sexsmith, who's a friend of the show. He's been on before. And he talked to Ron and he he gave him a cassette uh, of songs that he'd written. Jerry was with a band. He played the local bar scene by himself as well. The, The genre of music that he plays, I guess you'd call 
Americana. Uh, influences from the great Hank Williams. Bob Dylan is in there. Neil Young. Gordon Lightfoot. And, uh, of course, uh, the Beatles in general. And John Lennon specifically. Jerry is a, a big Beatles fan. And he is nodding his head in agreement here as, uh, as we sit getting prepared to do this interview. But specifically, a big, big John Lennon fan. Uh, Jerry has been with the Cowboy Junkies label Latent Recordings since 2014. And his most recent full-length album... Nothing Pressing, which was released in 2022, made a number of year-end best-of lists, including in publications in Canada and the U.S., uh, Germany, where it featured in uh, German Rolling Stone, Norway, and Sweden as well. And as this is being recorded, he is preparing for another tour of Europe, where he's going to go over and do some solo gigs. I know we have a lot of listeners in the U.K., as well as in Europe. So if you're a Jerry fan, keep your eyes peeled. Go to his website, and he may be coming to your town to play. Hey, Jerry, great to see you again. Uh, Welcome back, and as always, thanks for taking the time to talk to me about the Beatles. Oh, yeah, it's great to see you again, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. I mean, I could, I would be on every show if you want. <laughs> there we go. Can I be your sidekick? I'll be like, uh, was it Ed McMahon? That would be perfect. You know, I'll just like, laugh in the background. You, well, uh, and plus, <laughs> it would be good because I could, uh, you know, I'd have a guy there who uh, who actually knew a lot about uh, about music, so you could talk about all the technical things with music. Oh yeah, perfect. not too technical though. No, no, technical enough. Yeah, all yeah. Right. Right. So <laughs> the feeling uh, before we peel into the album, we're going to talk about today. I do want to ask you because it's been a while since uh, since we've gotten together what's going on uh, I, I know you've got a live ep out that we'll talk about later but are there any plans for a new studio album when can we expect something from either you or you in the situation what's going on yeah well we actually uh, just recorded a, a new album um uh, i guess hoping to have it out uh in the fall of this year or you know late fall sometime before the end of the year um, and yeah, it was just an amazing experience. Just, you know, knocked it out in five days, very much live off the floor, like we always do it. But, um, this time, uh, we used, uh, uh, a guy named Mark Howard, um, who's an amazing producer, recorder, mixer. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's worked on, uh, some of my favorite records with, with some of my favorite artists, uh, he produced Lucinda Williams' World Without Tears and recorded and mixed one of my favorite Tom Waits records, Real Gone, which is just a really important record to me when it came out in 2004. I was just starting to get into this professionally, and I just remember that was one of two records that year that, that um, I just distinctively remember you know, uh, 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 different uh, points where I was listening to it, walking around in the rain one night. I remember walking home and had that, you know, on my disc, man. And, and uh, yeah, so it was a real, real thrill. Um, of course, well, he worked with Bob Dylan, uh, uh, mixing and recording Time Out of Mind and Oh Mercy. So yeah, it was a really cool experience. I can't wait for people to hear it. You know, it's pretty wild. And we were talking uh, before we started rolling, but uh, I guess you got to use like just the most fantastic, sounds like a, an old 1940s ribbon mic. Uh, you've never sounded so good, I would guess. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was huge too. Very huge and heavy. Um, yeah, Mark, a guy from Capitol Studios, he said, and and uh, that's what Tom Waits used on the Real Gone record, which also was a real thrill. But uh, yeah, I, it was definitely a different approach to uh, the songs. Uh, it was great having uh, you know somebody new in in our, our circle, you know, to to you know, bounce things off and kind of push us in, in directions that maybe we wouldn't have thought about. And, and uh, I mean, that's what I want. I knew that he wanted to make a vibe, a vibey atmospheric record because, I mean, that's what he does and that's what I was totally into doing at this point. So, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty surreal. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, yeah. I'm looking because the last album, really good. Uh, yeah, thank made, you. Made a lot of end of year best of lists in 2022. So congrats on your success, your yeah, continuing success. A uh, so I had you on the first time. You did John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band, an album very important to you. Had you back. You did Beatles 6, uh, Canadian only release or North American only release. Now you're, you're circling back for your third appearance to John Lennon's solo catalog. You have chosen to delve into mind games why this record well um the first reason is it's very sentimental to me um because i was about eight or nine it was the first record that i bought with my own money um i mean a few years earlier my dad gave me a stack of records mainly like ktel records and stuff and a record player and some of those i still have like tom petty damn torpedoes was in in that stack uh but yeah this was the first album that uh i got on my own and it was uh from a a record shop that is you know long gone called uh po boy records in uh lindsay ontario and uh, we had a trailer uh, uh, up that way. So every summer, instead of like basically like a cottage, every summer we would go to, you know, this trailer park and, and spend, you know, like every other week there. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was like the first reason that I chose it. And also, I just think it's a great album. And I think, you know, it's very uh, uh, overlooked and. And I, I think it doesn't get a lot of a chance because there's a I think there's a lot of like stigma around it because of also like the terrible reviews that it got you know like I think that John Landau Rolling Stone review has followed it you know ever since and um, there's actually a lot of great moments uh, first of all I think his singing on it is some of the, the strongest and most confident singing that, that he's ever done. Uh, the band is great. Um, there's a lot of cool ideas. I think there's a lot of reflection of probably what he was listening to at that time as well. Um, and yeah, there's just some like besides the obvious title track. I think there's some real standouts on this record that just get kind of lost in the mix, you know. And coming off of some time in New York City, you know, I think that's also why it, it it's uh, even though it, it, it went gold. You know, that's the other thing. It wasn't like it was a disaster. It was a top 10 album. But in comparison to the other Beatles, like they all had huge records in 1973. Yes. 
And, and so, I mean, that must have sucked. That must have like hurt his ego, but it, it still sold. I think, I think the title track would have gotten higher than 18 if, if the public had trusted him a little more, but I think they lost a bit of trust because of some time in New York City. I also think with like Yoko, not, she's not on it, but she's on the front cover and, you know, let's face it, a lot of people had, you know, a huge dislike of Yoko. That could have hurt it a bit too. In 1973, her being on the cover is not going to sell you many albums. No. You know, like, like it or not, that was that was the vibe in 1973. Uh, you're going to have to sell me on this one because I, yeah, I, I, I know this is. <laughs> I went back to. It's not an album that I listened to often. I did buy it back when I was a kid, which is cool. I like that's that's great that you bought it back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember buying it. I bought it at uh, Star Records in Oshawa. Long since gone, mm. but it was the best record shop in Oshawa. Star Records. Went there with my buddy who was also a Beatles fan uh, and we were spending some of our paper root money and uh, I went in and this was one of the albums that I bought I remember it was a shitty copy it was warped Oh yeah, but anyway, it was, uh, and I remember having it and uh, loved Mind Games, a title track. I liked Intuition, uh, Out of the Blue. Like there were a few good tracks in there, but in general, it was kind of a, eh, eh. and especially because you mentioned it. Like around that time, if you love the Beatles, which I did, McCartney uh, comes out with, he comes out with uh, Red Rose Speedway early in the year, and then around the same time this came out, he comes out with Band on the Run. Yeah. So throw live and let die and that I mean he's having a good year. Uh, Harrison comes out with um, living in the material world. Yeah, huge record. Strong. Ringo comes out with Ringo. Number one record. Yeah. Uh, so this was kind of the ugly sister, if you will. It was. Yeah. I, you know, I think his and I think his confidence was already shook from the reaction to sometime in New York City and the concerts he did at Madison Square Garden. Um, I mean, there's definitely an effort being made here to, you know, try to get back on track, you know? Well, here's the context. I always like to to give a little bit of context what was going on before we delve into it. So as 1973 kicks off for John Lennon, from a musical standpoint, he is somewhat adrift, as as you sort of referenced. Uh, His June 1972 album release, Sometime in New York City, is pretty much a complete failure in terms of sales. Uh, His follow-up to his U.S. This blows my mind. So he's following up U.S. number one album, Global number one album, Imagine, generally regarded as maybe his best solo effort. Uh, you could go back and forth with that and John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band. Uh, but then he comes out with Sometime in New York City and it's uh, very of its time. It's uh, a lot of social justice, um, folk singing, I'll call it, uh, a lot of skiffle sounding. It peaks at number 48 on the Billboard album chart in the U.S. Now, just think about that. At the time, he's only two years removed from being in the biggest rock and roll band of all time, the Beatles. Only nine months ago, he'd released an album that was number one in the U.S. charts, and he puts out the follow-up record, and it stiffs at 48 
on the Billboard charts. So yeah, his confidence was jarred. And he later admitted uh, that the public reaction to some time in New York City had an adverse effect on his work. Here's a quote from 1975. It almost ruined me. It became journalism and not poetry. And I basically feel that I'm a poet. Then I began to take it seriously on another level saying, well, I am reflecting what's going on, right? So he's questioning himself and he begins to adopt a lower profile. He does this for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, in the UK, the single Happy Christmas War is Over finally comes out a year after it did in the US because of copyright issues with Yoko Ono being given co-writing credit on that. So it comes out almost a year later. And as he would put it many years later, he saw 1973 as a time to clean up. Uh, He was still fighting the US government who wanted to deport him. Uh, He decided that his cause was not going to be helped by supporting radical causes. Causes, as he had with his last album, particularly releasing you know, sometime in New York City and advocating for a lot of radical causes. So he cuts off ties with the likes of Jerry Rubin and David Peel, well-known radicals of the time. Uh, I'm using air quotes for radicals. Uh, on March 23, 1973, Yoko is granted permanent residency in the United States. John, meanwhile, hey, good days and bad days, she can stay. He's ordered to leave the country within 60 days. And he appeals this, of course, but he had to battle through the courts for another two plus years before being granted the same status as Yoko. So anyway, John and Yoko in an effort to kind of clean up, settle down a little bit. They move into the Dakota apartment building on West 72nd and Central Park West in May of 1973, and uh, Yoko was still there. Uh, We now know, in hindsight, that they were having marital problems and drifting apart. And Yoko, in particular, as people tend to if they're having relationship troubles, she busied herself with work, and she went into a couple of recording projects. Approximately Infinite Universe comes out in January of 70. And then she heads into the studio and records what would become Feeling the Space, another album. The day after Yoko completes sessions for that album at the record plant in New York, John starts work with the same band, pretty much. He liked Yoko's band, so he's going to use the same band on what was to become the album we're going to talk about today, Mind Games. So Mind Games, he he whips through pretty quickly. Uh, It was completed within a period lasting around two weeks with Lennon producing himself, uh, and the band was credited as the Plastic UFO No Band, but we'll talk about the band a little bit later. Significantly, the period also marked the beginning of Lennon's 16-month separation from Yoko and the start of his relationship with May Pang, uh, later dubbed the Lost Weekend. May was an assistant and became John's lover during his estrangement from Yoko. And several of the songs, inevitably, on this album were about Yoko, and they were amongst the most effective on the album. Out of the Blue, Asuma San, uh, I Know, I Know, detailed his regret at losing her while one day at a time and you are here, explored the theme of the theme of the two star-crossed lovers, which has become the sort of mythology of John and Yoko. Uh, a little more context. Uh, in terms of what his ex-bandmates were up to in early 1973, we just sort of touched over this, but the Beatles' Red and Blue albums came out in April of 73, so the Beatles are getting lots of love. McCartney comes out with Red Rose Speedway in May, Band on the Run in December, two big albums. 
Harrison comes out with Living in the Material World in May, does very well. Ringo works on and releases Ringo in November of 73. Mind Games comes out at the same time, November of 73. In the United States, it peaks at number nine on the Billboard 200, certified gold, and spends 31 weeks on the chart. So yeah, you, you're yeah, right, Not Jerry. bad. No, it's not a, I mean, it's not a stiff yeah. at all. I mean, w- w- hey, Right now, if, if I could put something in front of you to sign, uh, number nine album on U.S. Billboard charts, in the charts, 31 weeks. Are you signing that? Yeah, great. <laughs> you know, and, and number nine was his number, so uh, true, true. <laughs> it was like a positive about it. Uh, they liked it in the U.K. as well. It hit number 13 on the U.K. charts and was also certified gold. Uh, it was in the charts for 12 weeks. In Canada, we liked it a little more. It gets as high as number three on the Chum album chart, which was a a very reputable chart at the time at, at Canada's top sort of pop station. As per chartmasters.org, Mind Games with global physical sales of just over 2 million, making it the second lowest selling album of his post Beatle career while he was alive, I stress. Sometime in New York City was the lowest seller. Uh, streaming, Mind Games with approximately 25 million streams. What would you guess is the most streamed track on the album? Oh, definitely the title track. You got it. Yeah, with with over eight million streams. I mean, most. I think the casual fan would probably only know that song on the album. Really. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're right. You know. Yeah, that's that's the greatest hits track that you'd pull off of this. Yeah, and it's aged really well. Yeah. You know, when you think about other hits that that the other Beatles had that were bigger hits, you know, that song only went to eighteen in in the states. In the states. Yep. Yep. Um, I think it's it's like better remembered than some of the other solo Beatles songs that were huge. Yep, you know, like a lot of people do know Mind Games. You know, it still gets some play on the radio and and more than like whatever gets you through the night. I've heard Mind Games in recent years. I've, yeah. I've heard Mind Games more often and than better song too. I would. Oh say. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, let's take the uh, the album out of the jacket and put it onto our virtual turntable and uh, let's dig into Mind Games. It is uh, side one, cut one, and like Imagine, he opens the album with the title track. <laughs> First of all, I think his vocals are so confident on it. You know, he has a, the double tracked vocals, but there's, yeah, it's just really confident uh, and, and uh, uh, very melodic, hypnotic. Um, I think we were, we were talking about a little bit before we started that I, I love that the musically, it's just this real cycle. It almost could go on forever. We, I started to, to, to stop hearing the actual chords that the musicians are playing. You just get into this hypnotic with that slide part. You know, it's like the, uh, 
the slide guitar is like going along with the Mellotron, which is also a cool like that, that keyboard effect that creates this real atmosphere and, and space to it. Um, and it's yeah, it's just a great song. I love the name too, Mind Games, which I know he got from a. It was the title of a book that that he had, but it just sounds great. Mind games, and of course, you name the album that too. It's just yeah, I uh, love it. The book was called Mind Games by Robert Masters and uh, Gene Houston or Jean Houston. I, I would guess he'd use the American pronunciation. Gene. Uh, the book promoted mental fulfillment through raised consciousness, and several of the key themes found their way into Lennon's lyrics on this album. It had been kicking around for about three years, and there are very Various demos that you can hear uh, with varying titles, Make Love, Not War, I Promise. Uh, they ended up uh, tracking it on, let me see, August the 4th, 1973, and it was Take Two that ended up being the master. Cool. Uh, well, we know that Lennon didn't like taking too long on on songs. That makes sense. Yeah, and there's also, there's a clip uh, that I saw uh, when he's recording Imagine and they're just kind of getting ready. I think they're going to record Oh My Love. It looks like that's set up and he's at the piano. They're just getting sounds. And in the meantime, he's playing at that time. It's it's Make Love, Not War. And so, yeah, he definitely been kicking. The song had been kicking around for a couple years. Here's John's recollection. This is from an interview with David Sheff in 1980. It was originally called Make Love Not War, but that was such a cliche that you couldn't say it anymore, so I wrote it obscurely. But it's all the same story. How many times can you say the same thing over and over? When this came out in the early 70s, Everybody was starting to say the 60s was a joke. It didn't mean anything. Those love and peaceniks were idiots. We all have to face reality of being nasty human beings who are born evil and everything's going to be lousy and rotten, so boo-hoo, said Lennon <laughs> sarcastically. Uh, we had fun in the 60s, they said, but the others took it away from us and spoiled it for all of us. All I was trying to say was, no, just keep doing it. Yeah, and I love that it's in the outro. It's just quietly, the, I want you to make love. And it, I know you've heard it before. Also, Jim Keltner's drumming is phenomenal on this track. And it, it, it goes back to what I was saying with, with uh, the band. It just has a great tempo. It has a great feel. Um I don't think Lennon's really dictating what everyone's doing. There's definitely moments in the drums where Keltner, he'll do like a bit of a build. And it's not always at a point where you think it's going to happen. I think he was just really feeling the track, you know? And, and with that kind of hypnotic, could go on forever sort of, you know, sound and arrangement to it, 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 it does give that freedom where... You know, besides the guy doing the the slide part, the everyone else can kind of just exist in it, and and I think that's what's really so cool about that track for me is that you can just exist in it. Well, let's talk about the band because uh, you've referenced them. So here's the core band, which you know, again, this is '70s. These are some of the best freelance session guys you're going to find in America. So Jim Keltner on drums, except for two of the tracks that featured Rick Morata, another excellent session drummer. Yeah. But it's Jim Keltner. Uh, Gordon Edwards played the bass. Now, who is Gordon Edwards? Well, he played in a New York 70s, 80s funk band called Stuff. 
Uh, oh, my drummer Kyle loves that band. He also later played with the Saturday Night Live band. So this this guy yeah. has got the funk chops, right? Uh, great bass player. Dave Spinoza plays the guitar. That's the same Dave Spinoza who played with McCartney on Ram. Uh, interesting side story. When Lennon found out about this, Spinoza was worried that he might be sacked because the relations were a little frosty at that time between Lennon and McCartney. Lennon's only comment when he was told was, Paul knows how to pick good people. So, yeah. Wasn't com- he with the... Wasn't he have like a thing with Yoko during the last weekend too? I don't know if that... I don't know if I'm starting rumors now, but I know that he played on... Uh, I guess feeling the space and and yeah, but I I don't know what I read something that they were and it's it's really kind of not creepy but it's real sort of uh, I forget what the was it Bob Carroll Ted and Alice which was the old seventies movie about swapping partners it, it's really Bob Carroll Ted because the thing I read was that I mean Yoko infamously or famously which however you want to put it sort of lined up things between may pang and john yeah she organized it so so is the the mythology whether it's true or not well the, the what i read jerry along those lines is that you know they both talked about well you know why don't you get it on with dave spinoza he's you know pretty good looking guy playing yeah. in your band whether anything happened you know who knows yeah who knows who knows yoko's in her 80s and I, I, yeah. I don't know what's up with Dave Spinoza. She doesn't remember who he is <laughs> no. at this point. Uh, the other guy in the band, Ken Asher, uh, plays keys. A well-known arranger on the New York music scene. Uh, he won an Oscar in 1979 for Best Original Score for the Muppet movie. So all the guys oh. on here, they got chops. I didn't know that. I, yeah, I love his playing on it. I, I think it's cool that it's a real just a tight band, you know, like there's not, a, it's not a huge list of players, you know, and, and that makes sense recording the record so quickly. And, and, uh, I mean, another reason why I love this record is that it's so mysterious to me too, because there's no photos of the sessions. I I've never seen any like documents from it. Um, it, it just sort of exists you know, like we know where the song Mind Games came from. We have some demos of a few other songs, but then there's these songs that just, they just appear. They're just here. They, they're on the record and, but there's not really that much known about it, you know? So there's a bit of a mystery behind it too, that, that I think I, I gravitate towards. Now, so, so Lennon followed up Imagine, a great album with a bit of a stiff that we've talked about sometime in New York City. You followed up an album many of your fans considered to be your best yet, and that was last year's Nothing Pressing. Uh, made numerous lists, uh, best of lists at the end of 2022. Uh, I really, really enjoy the record. It's, it's one that, that I go back to. Uh, you followed that up with a little taster, a live EP, live from Paradise, just out as we're recording this. Four tracks packed with energy, um, especially the closer, Factory Made. You, you guys really get it going then.
So you and the band sound so joyous uh, to be in front of a hometown audience. It was recorded in Toronto, which is your, your yeah. sort of hometown. Was it your intention to release an EP of the performance from the get-go, or was it just something that you were recording it for posterity and you didn't know? Like, what was the sort of the, the thought process? Yeah, I mean, the thought process of, of, of uh, documenting it, it just started that I, I, I thought it'd be nice to have some some great new footage of of the band and I especially because um you know the last year we've had uh, a, a great player Alan Zemitis in the band on keys I mean he played on Time Out for Tomorrow and uh uh, our side project, the Delphi's, he's he's on those records and stuff. But uh, so he's always he's been in the family for a while. But uh, but now he's more of a member of of the band. So I wanted to document that as well. This like new configuration and and uh, and. I just thought we were sounding so great, and and uh, so yeah, I wanted to get footage of it, and uh, it also just turned out really well. Uh, the audio sounded great, um, and and the label, Mike Timmons, Lane Recordings, they they uh, came up with the idea of uh, of releasing a nice little you know souvenir. Uh, uh, musically of it uh, and yeah I'm happy that we did we just picked four songs one song from each of the Leighton Recordings records that we've made so versions of songs from uh, Factory Maids from Early Riser uh, Big Smoke from Nonsense and Heartache uh, Corner Light um, from Time Out for Tomorrow and, and With Only You from Nothing Pressing. And uh, and I was really happy with how Corner Light turned out because um, that actually would have been the second single off of Time Out for Tomorrow. Um, but then when everything hit the fan, it was just, you know, there's other things to worry about. So it didn't really <laughs> go that way. But I'm, I'm really happy with how the songs evolved too. That's another big thing that I should mention that, you know, these songs naturally evolve live. You know, it just, that's what happens. You know, the more you play it, you kind of, you're not really thinking about it, but you're actually developing it even more and changing it. So it was a great way to, to get a document of where things are at with us at this moment, because, you know, a year from now, they'll probably be, they probably won't sound exactly the same, you know? It's called Live from Paradise. And I, I was listening, just listening to the album. Uh, and then I saw on your Instagram page, I think it was, the, there was a link to a video, which I didn't know there was a video. So I popped on and I was like, oh yeah. And you guys, you do. You look as though you're having just a great time being in front of an audience. And after all that we've been through in the last yeah. three years, that must have felt that way. It, it looks it for sure. <laughs> Let's go to cut two on Mind Games. And it is called the tight ass. Well, just as tight as you can make it. Hard to slow and hard enough. Just as tight as you can shake it. Girl, get it on and do your stuff. Tight ass, you can get it. Tight ass, got it made. Uptight's all right, but if you can't stand the heat, you better get back in the shade. You know, I was thinking, uh, uh, listening to it the other day, I was thinking, oh yeah, this is kind of... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of artists, including myself, when you're sequencing albums, you you kind of get into 
Uh, and it's not a bad thing. You get into kind of like a, a formula of the sequence because you want the record to flow a certain way. So think about Imagine, the second track, Crippled Inside. Mm-hmm. Now we got Tight Ass on, on Mind Games, like another kind of just a fun track. I mean, Crippled Inside, you could kind of consider it a bit of a throwaway, but it's it's fun, you know? I find this song... It's just a fun song. It's kind of like Carl Perkins, Rockabilly, which is also cool because it's that stuff stays with them, right? You know, he repeatedly said that, that like, you know, whatever anybody does, if it's Beatles, Stones, whatever, you know, nothing comes close to, you know, that original wave of rock and roll. And, and uh, so I think this is his continuous tip of the hat to that. And it's just what he really digs. The vocals are great. The band's having fun. He even has that chuckle and, uh, you know, near the end of the song, like, uh, if you can't stand the heat, you better. He gets a little chuckle on that line because he knows it's kind of silly, you know? He's just having a ball, you know? They probably smoked a joint and, you know, he probably told them, you know, like do this like blue suede shoes you know yeah he he called it uh in an interview in 1980 he called it uh tex-mex sound oh yeah yeah that too it has a bit of a tex-mex kind of you know which would have been a fairly newish thing at that time with like doug som and freddie fender and you know yeah and that's what he said like it's a uh, here's a quote uh it's a tex-mex sound which actually you could play now and it would be au courant now he was saying this in 1980 but i don't think many people were doing it then uh so in 1973 well and 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 that's the thing with lennon he was constantly listening to stuff like uh, going back just briefly to the title track there's a bit of that that reggae and the guitar which again in 73 i mean lennon was obsessed with the burn-in record the whalers bob merlin the whalers he he would play everyone uh get up stand up you know the, just that rhythm and and he's starting it, it comes again down I, you know we'll get to it but it comes again in the in this album with a bit of a a, a reggae in it uh, and it's the same, yeah, Tex-Mex, like he's, he's listening to stuff. There's, that's the cool thing. That's why I'm glad we're talking about this album because we're going to get into other songs where I'm curious what he was listening to, you know? Certainly all, everything, you know, biographies and, and what Paul McCartney is referencing. And McCartney, I mean, the Beatles have massive antennas for what's going on yeah. around them or they you know they did at that stage in, in the 60s always listening to what was on the radio what else was being done and yeah you can see Lennon in New and imagine uh you know pardon the pun going to yeah. now you're in New York City one of the media capitals of the world and the exposure you were going to have on what back then would have been AM radio and the early days of classic uh, FM album radio, he would have heard so much more. Yeah, and radio was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So everyone's listening. The musicians are listening to it. You know, people in general are just having on all the time. There's a lot of great stuff happening. Nothing specific, really, where it's like, oh, we only play this kind of music on this station. And that is just everything. It was just, you know, anything would, would, would be on there if it was, you know. Radio, by and large, now is garbage. It's Well, it's hard. I don't know how people really discover 
you know, new music. It's pretty difficult. You know, I was telling the other day how, like, I never thought uh, I, I took uh, even much music for granted. But since it's, like, gone, basically gone, now it's much and they don't play any music. I discovered a bunch of bands when I was a little kid, you know, like Sloan, Matthew Sweet. I discovered these artists. I thought they were the biggest things around because I saw them on much music, you know? And, and we don't have that. We don't have... TV shows with bands on them. We don't, and everything's so controlled by what's left of the industry. So agents are controlling stuff. Whoever's left at the the major labels are controlling. You know, money really talks and walks now, which is too bad. There you is know? good radio, and you can find it. I would highly recommend uh, BBC Radio Six Music. Where the, they, sure, yeah, the, the DJs curate their own playlists, and they actually talk to the artists, and they talk about the music. You don't get that in Canadian radio anymore. Yeah, you get like us on our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, give us a this, give us a hashtag, sign up for the. You, yeah. Nobody talks about the band, the music. Anyway, it's very it. yeah, it's very regulated. Yep. But uh, you know, the other thing is like, you know, with Timebo, uh, yeah, like like going back to him being really affected by New York and, and his surroundings, and of course, sometime in New York City is a big reaction to who he was hanging out with and what he was seeing. Another cool thing about. Uh, myself growing up with a mother who's a huge John Lennon fan and a fan of his solo stuff. I'm a little kid and in the car, I'm hearing this album. I'm hearing Sometime in New York City. I don't, I've, I haven't, I'm like five. I'm, I haven't read anything about, I can't even like read what they're talking about, you know? I, I'm just hearing the music. So I have no like opinions like outside opinions on any of this stuff. So there's still, there's tracks on Sometime New York City that I still love because I just remember hearing them all the time when I was a kid and I didn't really take into account that he was, you know, it was like a, you know, slogan or he was following a trend or reciting what he was reading in the newspaper. It just sounded cool to me, you know? Let's uh, let's go to the next track. This is track three on side one. Asima Sen, I'm Sorry. When I'm down Really And I don't know what I'm doing I see myself This is a beautiful song. I really love um, the pace of it. Uh, it has a real, uh, uh, yeah, again, I'm sure what was going on around him has a real country rock feel to it. And it's, it's, it's certainly helped by having Sneaky Pete on it, um, on Pedal Steel. Uh, uh, who, of course, it w was such a big part of the Flying Burrito Brothers, which is such a big part of uh, country rock and Americana, whatever you want to uh, uh, call it. Um, 
And yeah, I don't, there's a there's a real vulnerability in Lennon's vocals. I find in this, you know, I, th- I think he he knows he's lost in this song. He he's he's pleading to to Yoko. He's saying it on record because because uh, he knows that she's going to hear it. You know, why would he bother? Like he he. It's not just you know, it's not just him needing to, it's like he needs her to hear this because he's so sorry with, with you know, whatever led to the separation or, or her mistrust of, of him in different ways. And yeah, I just find it really touching. And there's one line, there's a few lines, the way he sings, it just always hits me. Like, uh, uh, when he sings, oh, when I hurt you and cause you pain, darling, I promise I won't do it again. It's like, he means it, you know, he really means it. And yeah, the another, another line later on that I just love, you know, I love when Lennon's voice gets a bit raspy, it kind of breaks up a bit. And when he sings that, and I don't know, what to do you know i i love this song i think it's a beautiful i used to play this when i was a teenager on guitar at at home you know like how does it translate to guitar pretty well great yeah and it it has really nice acoustic in it i assume he's playing um i mean the only thing about it that i'm not huge on is that like intense guitar solo at the end but i feel like it, it, it it's it, it doesn't really suit the song but uh i mean it doesn't bug me that much it, it was apparently inspired by the more and more commonplace fights that lennon was having with yoko uh and the, the, this album just in terms of timeline while it was being recorded they were still together they were living together at the dakota okay, yeah it was after it had been recorded, and in fact, when it came out uh, in November, November was just before they had their official split. It was mm. December of 73 when he left with May Pang to go and live in California on the West Coast. So things were kind of, you know, again, 2020 hindsight. We know now things were kind of shitty at home. They were fighting. They were growing apart. And that's where this song came. Asuma-san, by the way, uh, apologies to any Japanese listeners uh, for my pronunciation, but Asuma-san yeah, is me too. I, I'm sorry in Japanese. Yeah. Uh, and Yoko, of course, is Japanese. Uh, it's, it started off as a song called Call My Name. And the, the demo, so the melody for it, went back as far as, as 1971. There were bootlegs kicking around, but the melody, not the words. So, the Okay. Word, yeah. 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 So he came up with the, the sentiment was, yeah, I mean, and you're right, Jerry. It, it sounds like a guy who's, you know, we've all probably been there at one time or another in relationships, right? Things aren't going well and, yeah. and, it's, and it's eating him up. His solo records are, are such documents of his life. They're not interchangeable. They're, they're totally reflective of his life at that time. And I mean, if, if anything, you, you, you know, anyone would have to admit, like, he was always artistically courageous, whatever he was doing. And this record is no exception, whether, 
you know, people like it or not, or he screwed up on it. You know, it, it's it's still courageous that he's still opening himself up on this record. Yeah, and there seems to be, uh, had Jane Gowan on a few weeks back, the musician to talk about Imagine. Uh, oh yeah, I love that episode. And, and she, thanks, she, she was great. And, uh, but it's funny, she is an artist. She says, one of the things she admires the most about Lennon is that he, you know, hard on the sleeve, uh, you know, whether it's Mother, whether it's Asima Sen, and you, you summarized it you know what's going on with the guy yeah whereas she says this is, I'm, I'm memory quoting her but she doesn't have the sort of artistic courage to want to do that she's more like the elvis costello paul mccartney where you use a metaphor or a simile and you don't get you don't get things too too personal where do you come down in that I'm kind of like I, I I would say I'm closer to to uh, I'm closer to Dylan when it comes to that where there there's traces of uh you know there's personal traces throughout certain songs some songs more than others uh, I I I I think I'm rarely at like a hundred percent honest with what's going on in my life and song like Lennon was. Uh, but again, it's like different degrees, different percentages, you know? Um, but so nothing pressing is a personal record. It's a very personal record because of the way, I mean, I'm, I'm always very honest with, with, with the presentation and what I'm putting into it. But, you know, some things get a little bit hidden and, and not every line is about me, you know, it's, it's, and it also can be stuff in my past, you know, we all have, I love heartbreak songs, you know, I love, you know, Hank Williams wrote the best of them and, and, you know, I'm the happiest that I've ever been, but, you know, you get into kind of like storyline and, and you could still, you know what those feelings felt like, you know, it's not artificial, you know. Uh, let's go to the next cut on this album. And you, you want to talk about, again, Lennon, hard on his sleeve. Here's One Day at a Time. Mm. You are my weakness. it's cool he's you know he's taking that uh a uh, chance of trying something different and singing this uh, uh in falsetto um which i also think really goes back to you know what he's uh, been doing since the beginning which uh like well since the beginning of the beatles recording career where he w it was very influenced by Smokey robinson and this song really reminds me of of something Smokey would have been doing in his solo career you know it has that falsetto and it has that kind of like 70s soul feel to it um and i just love I love those harmonies. They're just textures, you know, and those come up a, a few more times on the record. I, I don't know who's singing on it, but it's definitely a few female uh, vocalists and, and it's nice. It's, it, it, it's just in the background. And, and like I said, it's like, a, it's just this texture in it that I, I, I really dig. And um, the electric piano, the, it's probably a Wurlitzer or a Rhodes. 
I think is really nice on this, and uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think this is one of those. Lyrically, weird... it's the weakest on the album, though. But well, it is. You know. uh, like, what is because uh, I'm the fish and you're the sea, because I'm the apple and you're the tree. You know, but has yeah. he been? He's been doing that since the beginning. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. working like a dog, sleeping like a log. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they haven't always been uh, poetry. You know, <laughs> uh, and you like the, see the, the falsetto vocal was apparently. Yoko's suggestion because he wasn't doing that if the, the version on anthology Lennon anthology he sing, which is a really cool version it's very open and, and he's singing and is just a regular way register better. Way, way better it's a cool version you are my weakness you are my strength nothing I have in the world Makes better sense Cause I'm the fish and you're the sea When we're together I prefer his vocals on on the anthology version Like I think that would have been cool But I think it's great that he was trying something different and and uh i also think it's interesting that elton john recorded a cover of this as a b-side right he liked the song and he put it on the b-side of his his also excellent cover of uh, lucy in the sky with diamonds oh that it was the b-side of that that makes sense okay cool uh which came out in 1974 a couple of notable contributions from top session players michael brecker uh, plays that tasty little sax part, mm. especially near the end of the song. Brecker, American jazz and blues legend. Uh, here's who he did. I love digging into this stuff. Here's who he pl- played with Herbie Hancock, Chick mm. Corea, Chet Baker, George Benson, Quincy Jones, Charles Mingus, Jocko Pistorius, Pat Metheny. Steely Dan, Lou Reed, Dire Straits, Joni Mitchell, Eric Clapton, Billy Joel, Aerosmith, Kenny Loggins, Frank Sinatra. Uh, I mean, wow, just the list goes on. Yeah, who, wow, who amazing. did he play with? Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I guess that's great making a record, and I guess he was around New York, or they flew him in, or something. Uh, Probably, I would seems guess like something would, that he would have been around, and you know, uh, the other guy you mentioned earlier, Sneaky Pete Kleino. Uh, Kleino. Uh, Flying Burrito Brothers, yeah. uh, U.S. sort of country rock band. And he was also, this is, you find out this stuff when you, you peel back the layers of the glass onion. He was also just as well known as a television animator who worked on the Davy and Goliath. Oh, wow. I didn't and, know that. And Gumby stop motion animations, which anybody in any Buddy from my vintage in North America will have seen those on on Saturday Sunday morning TV. Davy and Goliath and Gumby, and he also wrote the theme tune for the Gumby animation series. I had no idea. Crazy. I know it's it's weird. Yeah. Uh, I just want to ask you. You you touched on it. Uh, you know, uh, Sneaky Pete Clino, and, and we mentioned the sort of as Lennon was the what he called the Tex Mex. Uh, you do a genre of music, and it's you know you got to use labels. That's the world we live mm. in. You get tagged with Americana. So, uh, dear listener, think Hank Williams, Bob Dylan, the band, uh, all Neil Young, all that. It's really just an umbrella. For for roots rock and roll, like I mean, at the heart of it, I always think of myself as 
you know, uh, as rock and roll or singer songwriter, a singer songwriter that plays rock and roll, but it's not like a a, a commercial. Uh, a genre of music, but it's it's one that's loved by uh, 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 people that really get into words and and feel and and uh, acoustic arrangements mixed with band and you know and I think overseas it's still it, 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 it's always done well there uh, you know they just seem to to really. They're like that with the older artists too, yeah. you know. Yeah, they're they, still I, very into that too. I, I just my experience when I lived over there was uh, an album like uh, I mean it's a classic of the genre, uh, Cowboy Junkies Trinity Sessions. Yeah, uh, yeah. very. And not that it's not revered in Canada. It, it is, you know, it's considered, but really revered as one of the great albums of its era on UK critics lists. Yeah. Uh, more so than here, I would say, but maybe I'm just not reading the right. I, I totally, papers. yeah, no, I totally uh, agree with you. I mean, that's also why Cowboy Junkies, most of their touring is in the States and overseas. They don't do a ton uh, in, in, in Canada. And that's kind of where my, career has been going the I last know, five know. years but I've been I seem to be doing less and less here just because the you know the opportunities are, are elsewhere and so. you're getting all that love and like the German Rolling Stone yeah. uncut, uncut like all yeah. these cool UK music mags so yeah which is great because I mean I I still remember buying my first uncut and mojo magazines when I was you know 12 years old 13 years old and just like you know yeah, it's a thrill, really. Oh, must be. To see your yeah. album reviewed in there? That's it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Huge. Uh, last cut on side one of this album, Bring On The Lucy, Free To People. We don't care what flag you wave. We don't even want to know your name. We don't care where you're from or where you're going. done in a very cool way with that sweeping slide you know which it might even be John Lennon playing that yeah he might be playing the slide on that yeah I think it's really cool again his his voice he's just so confident he's like spitting out these lyrics I love the way he sings the line um oh as you slip and you slide down the hill on the blood of the people you kill you know it's like stop the killing yeah, it's yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it, it's kind of territory that he he's he he's been there before, but uh, but yeah, I think it's a great performance. The band sounds great. It has those cool textured harmonies in the background. Like I just really dig that. I love that they're just low in the mix. It's just this texture. I love I love textures. I'm I'm that way with horns too. That's why I love. My favorite horns are in like Stax recordings, you know, like other, other recordings would use like the sax solos and stuff. A lot of Stax recordings don't have really horn solos. They're just part of, and I love how the harmony vocals on this record are utilized in the same way. It's just textures, you know? Um, Lennon taped an early version of the song towards the end of 1971, and the title was Free the People. Um, didn't show up on Sometime in New York City. 
you know, you mentioned like some strong political sentiments in this for sure, but it's less preachy than yeah. sometime in New York City was, which I think is what turned a lot of people off. Yeah, that very album. catchy chorus, and it has that that kind of reggae bass. You know, going back to reggae, like I'm sure that was Lennon. Like, no, uh, play it like this, you know, throws on get up, stand up. Can you do something like this, you know? Because it, it, it has that, that sound to it, to me anyways. Like the, the bass, it really stands out for me on this one. It's a dobro that he's playing. Uh, and, you know, great. Oh, cool. Yeah, some great playing on that. Uh, there's a demo version you can hear on the Lennon Anthology box set. And he does the, uh, he produced this album himself, but maybe a bit of a, a throwback to when he was working with Phil Spector because he's got the double drums on this. He's got Jim Keltner and Rick right. Murata, both yeah. to see that big drum sound i thought maybe it was both of them on this yeah yeah it's very big um i think it's cool actually it's like the first this is the first record that lennon produced and arranged completely on his own without any any help um and like watching get back recently you know i've watched it you know it feels like a million times i always go back to it but yeah, you can see how they work together and you could see, you know, kind of Paul really taking on a, a, a almost like a, a production arrangement role, bigger than Lennon because Lennon was kind of, you know, spaced out at least for the first half. But um, so it, it, it's, it's kind of, it's cool. Yeah, like uh, you would do a better job as far as production arrangement on the next record. But I, I, I love kind of the looseness on this album. Uh, the side, if you've got vinyl, the side finishes off with the uh, Newtopian no- International Anthem. Just a quick, it's, it's three. Oh yeah, we got to talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> three seconds of silence. Uh, here's the quick and dirty on it. The the conceptual country of Newtopia had been announced by Lennon and Ono at a press conference on April the 1st, 1973. Sorry, a press release. Uh, and then at a press conference the following day. The name was inspired uh, on a book by Thomas Moore, the philosopher, uh, called Utopia, which was published in the 1500s. Uh, not on my bookshelf. But, uh, and it, 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 the translation from modern Latin meant no place. So Newtopia is a country, it is no place, and the anthem has no sound or no words. So there you, the, the greatest claim to fame to this was that it messed up the track indexing on the UK version of the CD because whomever was the person who indexed the CD didn't actually put the three seconds of silence onto it. Uh, so unlike the US version, which whoever was the boffin doing it did. So that just completely screwed up the track indexing on the on the CD. So you couldn't you'd skip to the next track and it was out of order. And so that's. I mean, what, I think it's just yeah, it's just such a, it's just such a a, a, a John and Yoko <laughs> thing to do. Like I, I love that. It's like no, this is a track. It's three seconds, and in the uh, inner sleeve of Mind Games, there's a there's a little yes. blurb about it. They even had a press conference. Yeah. They had a press conference and there's a great picture of like Lennon, he's like waving like a little like white like handkerchief or something, you yeah. know? Yeah, classic John so, and Yoko. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that was. And then, <laughs> so th- this this album came out 
uh, before we flip to side two, this album comes out in November of 1973, a couple of years after he'd released Happy Christmas, War Is Over, which, uh, again, another conversational thread, I think, in 50 or 100 years, uh, we'll both be long gone, but that could well be the song he is most remembered for. I think it will become, it almost is now, it'll become a traditional Christmas standard. Happy, you know, happy yeah. Christmas, War is Over. It's a great, great song. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, probably after Imagine, uh, uh, imagine I would imagine that uh, <laughs> uh, it's the song most associated with him, like like post-Beatles, like that Give peace a chance and imagine are probably the three. Yeah, but uh, you know, if you you when you think about Christmas music, this this could be like you know, White Christmas, Jingle yeah. Bells, a song that people, and you may not even a hundred years from now, you might even it, it, it'll just be the credit will be trad R, you know, traditional yeah. arrangement. <laughs> well, it's a great song. It's a, a great melody, uh, great performance. I mean, that's the. That's what you hope for with with a Christmas song, because otherwise it's just you know a cash in, right? Which brings me to your Christmas. Oh yeah, my it, cash in. No, it, <laughs> it put a big smile on my face when I saw when you put out that you had a Christmas song. Yeah, uh, Christmas without you. It, it's a lovely sort of waltz time Christmas time. How yeah, a bit melancholy. Ever, how will I ever get through another Christmas without you? I, I'm not doing it justice. I love the first snowfall. Fresh on the sidewalk Everybody listening To the street choir singing And I'm alone here with my thoughts And having you near is all that I want yeah, well, it's you know, I was I was thinking about, I think for a lot of us, when when the holiday season comes around, you you do think about, um, you know, you're just talking about like you know, in fifty hundred years, we won't we won't we won't be around. You think about those that are not around anymore. You think about your grandparents. You think about you know other people that have passed away that you associate you know, those times with, of course you would see them throughout the year, but like Christmas takes on a real, a real, uh, 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 new meaning once they're, once they're gone, you know? And so I think my head was in, in that, you know, thinking about my grandparents, it was a, it was a big thing every Christmas, the whole family would just cram into their little house and, uh, you know, a lot of my family, I don't even, uh, I mean, my immediate family I see, but like, you know, cousins, uncles, and it's like, I, I, I really don't see them that often anymore because that was, it was my grandparents that was keeping all that together, like on my mom's side. And, and, uh, so I think my head was, was, you know, uh, I was thinking about all that stuff, you know, when I was writing it. It is a good one. And I've got it marked so that later this year when I'm putting my Christmas playlist together, 
right there. It'll be on it. (laughs) Before we get to side two of the record, I would like to ask you, dear listener, yes, it's that time, uh, halfway through the podcast, (laughs) I'd like to ask you to please consider making a donation to support keeping this show commercial-free, which I think is better for you, and uh, ah, you know what, in the end, probably better for me. Donations have kind of uh, dried up a little bit. Uh, They're they're usually a trickle anyway. Most people don't donate, Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been really dry the last little while, so come on, come on, listeners. (laughs) Any donation is much appreciated, and your donation, I can assure you, goes towards offsetting my costs of doing the show, Uh, web hosting, which you pay for every month, a little bit of advertising that I do, some equipment costs. This is the third series of The Walrus Was Paul, and as I've said before, it's a labor of love for me. Uh, I really enjoy doing it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, I'm not necessarily looking to make money doing it, but I don't want to lose money either uh, in an ideal world. So if you enjoy the show, please consider a donation to support the show. Maybe just a couple of dollars per episode. It's not that much. Just click on the donate button on the website if you'd like to help out. If you can afford it, that is if you can afford it. Not everybody can, but if you can, please do consider making a donation. I also want to just point out, uh, point you towards the archive. If you're enjoying this episode, if you're a John Lennon solo fan, you might also want to go back and check out a couple of other John Lennon solo album episodes that are in the archive. In Series 2, Episode 10, musician Mike Daly digs into 1974's Walls and Bridges. And in Series 1, going way back to Series 1, Episode 10, Jerry Legere, today's guest, talks about Lennon's 1971 John Lennon Plastic Ono Band record. Uh, Many consider that to be Lennon's best solo work. Uh, Many consider it to be Imagine, which earlier in this series of the podcast I talked about with Jane Gallo. But let's get back to Mind Games, the album we're talking about today, and it is Side 2, Cut 1, Intuition. Alright, my intentions are good, I use my intuition, it takes me for a ride. But I never understood other people's superstitions, it seemed like suicide. Play the game of life I try to make it better Each and every day And when I struggle in the night The magic of the music Seems to light the way This is one where I I really wonder What musically influenced it Because it It it's the it's the the song on the record that I I feel like it, it sounds less Lennon to me than than any of the other ones at least to to my ears and it just makes me wonder like uh yeah just which artists he was listening to at the time because I can almost hear like in my head I can hear uh uh that great artist Donny Hathaway singing it have you ever listened to him. But uh, he kind of had this Stevie Wonder sort of sound, and and uh, he even did a, a, you know, anybody who's listening to this who hasn't checked it out, uh, Donny Hathaway, his live album uh, from the early '70s, uh, he does a phenomenal cover of Jealous Guy, 
And for me, there's not a lot of phenomenal covers of any Beatles or, you know, Lennon. And that version is, is just so good. And maybe Lennon would have even heard that because at that time, I don't know how many people were covering, especially Lennon's solo songs. So it, it, it's a funny one. It, it kind of like, I don't think he's done. When you know at that time, I don't think he'd done as sort of bouncy uh, and bright of a just a pure pop tune since maybe Oh Yoko. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, like it, 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 it's and certainly nothing on Sometime in New York City had had this kind of vibe to it at all. Uh, you know, it just kind of bounces along, and it's it stands out. It's sort of weird because we have a lot of songs on here that are, oh man, you know, my marriage is going down the crapper, and I'm and, and this is like I think what, what's one of the lyrics? Uh, it's great to be alive. It's good to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think this is a good example of, of what Lennon's talked about uh, many times um, in interviews about uh, 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 just the song craft, you know, of not being inspired, but, but being able to, he knew he had to, you know, he probably didn't have enough songs for this record, but he needed to get a record out. And <clears throat> I mean, he was doing that in the Beatles, you know, Nowhere Man, of course, is a, a big example of that. And I mean, this record, he would he would basically write off, you know, uh, uh, by 1980, where there's a few good things, but the rest of it didn't really work out. And but you know what? He did that with like 80 percent of his Beatles output, too. So, you know. Uh, but I think this song falls into that category where he just he just knocked it out because he needed to 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 fill up the tracks, you know. Don't know if it means anything or not. You might have an idea, being a, you know, a professional musician. But it was recorded on August second, which was the day after they'd been working on Tight Ass. So, do you, can you sort of say, "Hey, we got this"? Oh, okay. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That could be, you know, again, just like a fun fun song in the studio it's also it's pretty tight it's pretty tight arrangement um yeah it's a, it's an interesting song because it, it it also has that bit of mystery that i was talking about earlier where like i i i'm unaware of any like demos of this song uh i haven't heard like another take of it like i it's just a song that exists on this album i don't really know but it sounds like they put a bunch of work into it. Well, you the, know? The, the 21 takes. Oh, well, there we go. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the master take was take 21. So they did. They uh, they did uh, put a fair bit of work into mm. it. Uh, second cut, um, maybe the second strongest song on the album, if you did have to rate them, uh, after the, the, the title track, Mind Games, and this is Out of the Blue. Yeah, this song is great. It's like like country rock gospel, you know. It, it's uh, you know the the beginning of it with the uh, the acoustic it has this like flange kind of effect on it. Out the blue, you came to me and blew away life's misery. Out the blue, life's energy. Again, like a, a vocal that's very, um, yeah, it's very naked in a way. 
It's very uh, vulnerable. It's it's sincere. I believe it. You know, like Lennon is also one of the best vocalists because you you believe him. You believe everything he's saying, and uh, yeah, this is such a a, a great song. You know. Um, I love that line. Uh, all my life, it's been a long, slow knife. Yeah, that's a great line. You know, yeah. I was uh, I was born just to get to you. I guess is how it finishes. But uh, yeah, you just really believe his his vocals. I think it's one of his best songs from his solo career. Uh, recorded on August the fourth, which was the same day that they tracked Mind Games. Oh, good day. So, yeah. So, he was clearly in the zone that Definitely. day. Now, um, now, it would have been a great second single had they released one, but there, there was no second single release from the album. Um, so, the first verse of this song, especially, and the demo, it's just Lennon with that lovely finger-picking acoustic guitar yeah. style that we first heard him play on Julia, for example, on the White Album. Uh, there's nowhere to hide what's in it when it's an approach like that. I mean, you just it's like you yeah. and the guitar. And that got me thinking about uh, your, I'll, I'll call it your pandemic album. Uh, it was called Songs from the Apartment. It's a, it's really, if you haven't heard it, dear listener, you can, you can find it to stream. Songs from the Apartment, very stripped down most of the songs there's some keyboards but it's it's you on a guitar really stripped down tell me more about that record yeah uh when i revisited those recordings and and put that album together uh that's what struck me about it you know i'd, I'd been away from those songs because i mean those were essentially demos i just record them into this little recorder with one microphone and they were just you know just to get down some of those songs i wrote right away recorded it and you know life moved on and when i went back and and started going through that stuff i was really struck by the vulnerability of it and 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 how naturally I sang and played those because they were absolutely new to me. And also, I, I there was no plans of anybody hearing those songs except for somebody like Mike Timmons if I was sending them uh, for consideration out of a bunch of tracks of what we were going to record for the next album. So, I mean, I think we were all in a very vulnerable state at that time. You know, this is early March 2020. This is the beginning of it. And uh, yeah, I just felt like putting it out because I, I I just felt like I didn't want to hide anything, you know. And and I thought maybe some people could relate to it. And and it it actually ended up it started off as just like a, a digital download on my Bandcamp, and and a lot of people downloaded it. I was very shocked, actually. Like, I, I just put it as something that was therapeutic to put together and kind of something to do. And the reaction was really strong, so I did a limited run on, on vinyl of it, and now it's, it's become another album in my discography. Leaving now, leaving now, babe, we're out of time. All I can say is better this way as long as I know my uh, so the next cut, we go from Out of the Blue to a song called Only People. Um, 
kind of an anthem, but to me without the conviction of an anthem. This is the kind of song that he's he's done before, but uh, it, it, it's he's taking a a, a a softer approach to it. You know, uh, uh, songs before it would have been a little more harsh and and kind of like uh, 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 yelling at you about it, you know, or scaring you into it. This one's a little more like, well, maybe I'll. I'll try this angle. Maybe I'll I'll be a little more passive about it. And and uh, uh, I mean, for me personally, this song, uh, yeah, for me, it's the weakest track on the record. But uh, I still think it's it's a very of its time. Like the chorus is very seventies to me, and I love my favorite part of the song. It is what has that little breakdown. The, the we don't want no big brother That's great. That's just you know it it, it deserves inclusion just because of that that line. I, I really dig that. Uh, it was recorded on August third, so the day after they'd been working on Intuition, and and I think it shares some musical characteristics with that song. Yeah, kind of bam, okay. bounces along. Uh, and the day they start, the day before they started to work on Out of the Blue, so that's where it fell. Just in terms of the title, uh, some context for you. In January of 1972, Lennon and Yoko uh, co-hosted five episodes of the Mike Douglas show on u.s television i remember this from when i was a kid um because it came on just after school and i remember running home from school so you know at 3 4 o'clock whatever that week to come home and see john and yoko oh, on, that's cool. on this show you can find it's it's up on youtube if you want to look for it, the mike douglas show uh and there were various political figures that were on lennon uh famously did a, a duet with chuck berry one of his musical heroes uh and it was during that episode where lennon made the statement only people can save the world when he was talking about the song imagine so that's where it came oh, from. Only okay. people can yeah. save the world. So that's where he yeah. got the title. Uh, Lennon said later uh, in a 1980 interview, that was a failure as a song. It was a good lick, but I couldn't ever get the words to make sense. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah, exactly. I, I like how it, uh, the ending's kind of cool when he's doing his like shouts to the band, you know, like, like keep it up. You know, just, just yeah. You know, I, I I like aspects of it. It's it's my it's my least favorite on the album. And I remember when I was a kid, I didn't really like it at all. But I but over time, there's there's different things about it um, that that are that I really uh, yeah, like that line I talked about. I really like that. Next cut. I know. I know. Uh, it was the first song to be recorded during the sessions, and uh, you tell me, 
What does the opening guitar riff remind you of? The years have passed so quickly One thing I've Yeah. Doesn't it, eh? Yeah. But, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't, I don't think it takes away from it. This is actually, after the title track, this is my favorite song on the album. I, I absolutely love it. I think the whole, the whole arrangement, uh, the vocals from the beginning where it's like, I think it's his acoustic and an electric guitar is doubling him. Um, yeah, I love it. I think this is a great... Uh, his double tracked vocals, him harmonizing with himself. His harmony vocal is so beautiful when he's doing those lines. Uh, I know what I was missing. All those are great, and and those breaks. The after he does the um, today, I love you more than yesterday. Today, da, da, da. and then there's that break, and I know. What's coming down? I don't. It, everything about it. I just love the feel of it. I love the guitar lick in it. It's it's cool. Not the I've got a feeling. The reminiscent of I've got a feeling. But there's uh, uh, I guess uh, David Spinoza. His little lick in it. He has a little nice rundown and. Yeah, this is my, I love this song so much. This is my my favorite after the title track. It was the first song to be recorded during the sessions for the album. They did 15 takes, didn't like any of them, so they started again, and it was take six of the second batch Okay, uh, that they went with for the rhythm track. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard, the demo was recorded on a steel string acoustic guitar. It does sound, but then, it, but it continues, right? It's a little bit longer than than the I've got a feeling. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, if you can't borrow from yourself, they did it all the time. They talk about it and get back. They're they're referring to, hey, what did we do on? I forget which yeah, early yeah. song. Oh no, it's she's a woman. They're trying to do the song Get Back and Paul's like, well, remember what you did on She's a Woman? It's just kind of like like that, you know. Which brings me to to Get Back. How many times have you have you watched it? And Oh, is this is this a is this a safe house? Is this a safe place to <laughs> No judgments, no judgments. Yeah, I've probably watched it like 5 times. Oh, it, like incomplete, you know. I'm right I'm right with you. Now, what parts I'm curious to know this as a as a musician, what parts really resonated with you? Oh, well, the them rehearsing when you're trying to get, when the arrangement's just not working, 
And after a while, it gets like frustrating that, that you just you just can't get it. You don't know what it is. You haven't unlocked it, you know? Um, and also just over time when, you know, anybody that's been friends for a long time and they're also in a working environment, you know, you have those frustrations, maybe not to that extent, but, but you, you have your moments, you know, that's, I think most bands, that have worked together for an extended amount of time and they're also have a friendship. Uh, yeah, those frustrations come up. You're a little bit more honest than if, you know, I'm pretty sure the session, I'm pretty sure Keltner wasn't talking back to Lennon during the making of this record, you know? Like, they're, they're not hired guns. They've all pretty much gone through it together and, and, uh, yeah, and then also just re- I, I related to a bunch of it and just like the recording aspect when they got down to that, you know. Let's get back to uh, Mind Games and the next track, and it is You Are Here. Nine. Nine. There's the nine again, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a, a great, uh, again, country rock, kind of breezy feel. Uh, Sneaky Pete's great on this. Those harmonies, those textured harmonies, I, I really love. And while Sneaky Pete's playing the great pedal steel, the guitar is doing the, these kind of flourishes that, that you know, like you, you, you can miss. But when you pay attention to them, they're they're quite beautiful, and and I love Lennon's softer uh, vocals on this, and um, and yeah, that whole the 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 melody of it, the three thousand miles over the ocean, it's just really nice, you know. And going into the the love has opened up my eyes. Love has blown right through and then right into the wherever you are, you are here, which is, of course, from Yoko, another Yoko-inspired uh, lyric right there. Well, it was taken from uh, an art exhibition that actually that John had done oh, okay. at the Robert Fraser Gallery in London uh, in July of 68. Uh, the exhibition had been publicly dedicated to Yoko, who at that time was his girlfriend, to Yoko from John with Love. And the centerpiece of the exhibition was a circular white canvas on which the words, you are here, were written. So indeed. Interesting. Yeah, I always yeah. thought it was a Yoko thing, so that's cool. Um, and uh, so, uh, again, 
John and Yoko, as many of the songs in this album, are two cultures coming together, right? The, you know, the, the, uh, uh, Liverpool, Tokyo. Yeah, the land of the rising sun. Uh, and it was a, a bit of a maxim on, uh, uh, sorry, a, a bit of a reworking of the Rudyard Kipling maxim, east is east and west is west and never the train shall meet. Uh, and Lennon claimed that, of course, the, the, the twains shall meet. Uh, mm. From distant lands, one woman, one man, let the four winds blow. So it's cool, and I, I really like the acoustic on it. It's kind of like an up up strum. It's kind of like a cool up strum on this, and and uh, 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 the Lennon anthology version is really cool too. It doesn't have as much on it. It's more of like uh, probably uh, yeah. I'm sure it's a different take. It is a different take, but it doesn't have any of the overdubs on it. So you really hear. Um, I guess it's like like a glockenspiel. It's like that and and electric piano. You get to hear those really nicely in the 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 you are here line. Actually, when the anthology came out, I, I I preferred that version a lot more. But as time has worn on, I just I I really love the those 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 quiet in the mix textured harmonies that are just like these. Uh, it's very like a different world, you know. It just kind of takes you into kind of like a dreamscape, and the song is very dreamy to me. I really dig it. Uh, Lennon called it a sort of attempted. Latinesque song in a ballad tradition is, mm, is what okay. he called it. it you, you touched on the mix there. That, that another thing that uh, I think maybe I was critical. Maybe it makes me critical of this album is the original mix, uh, which is what I have on the CD. That's what that's what was first put out. It is really sludgy. Like it's it, a bit muddy. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a bit muddy. They cleaned it up. Yeah, and, and, and if yeah. You, and if you listen to the uh, you know the ultimate mixes, I think they're called. There's a couple of tracks from this album that are. are you, you can hear all the textures and all the subtleties. All of I'd love to hear the whole album given that treatment. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and uh, they cleaned it up a little bit in uh, the early two thousands. It was it was uh, remixed and and remastered. Uh, so the last track on the album, it was also the B side to the Mind Game single, is Meat City. What? This is like a really fun rock and roller. His lyric, his voice is great on it. Just starting out the way, and and it has a cool lick in in uh, in the the chorus. Like what he's playing on guitar, and you can totally tell that it's him playing guitar because it's it's almost kind of like Dizzy Miss Lizzy. It, you know, like Lennon has a certain 
way of playing those rock and roll licks, if it's like Blue Suede Shoes or it's Dizzy Miss Lizzie, it just has that boom, doom, 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 boom, doom, doom, boom, doom, doom, doom. And it's kind of distorted. It's a bit rough around the edges. I just love the sound of it when he's he's playing that during the the chorus part. You know, it's a, it's a good it's a good rocker. It's a fun rocker. Great way to to end the album. Uh, you said earlier, right? I mean, the thing about a Lennon album, especially if you listen to it and you know where he was in his life at that time. So here he is. He's singing about this is a, a pay into New York City, right? I've been to the mountain to see for myself. Like, yeah. Uh, that's the home of, of all the stuff that he loves, New Just York City. Just gotta give me some rock and roll. And then he also sings about, uh, you know, I'm you know going to China. Yeah. Uh, which, which is, I read, into, read about this a little bit. He, there were plans for a tour of China for the Sometime in New York City album. Wow. Like, now, never got off the ground. I mean, only at that time, Richard Nixon was the only one who was going to be visiting China at the yeah. way of the world. But it's just, you know, that's where he was. I'm going to go to China. No one's been there. I'm going to go and play him rock and roll. And then he's, you know, he's writing about going to China and New York. And this is like a postcard of what's going on in his life. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, I well. Speaking of the the China line, I love near the end of it. He he uh, he goes to like a minor chord for that, so it's a bit it's a bit like darker sound. But when he's repeating, well, I'm going to China. It's, it's fun, you know, and, and of course the outro is different than the 45, which I also have where it was it like one says, you know, buy the album or listen to the album and one says like, oh, uh, I forget what he's saying. It's like, uh, it's oh, like backwards or something, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah. It, it, it one in the middle, the backwards mask of which the Beatles were a fan. So uh, the, for those of you not familiar with that, it's when you play something backwards. So you, you, they, they say something, flip it around backwards. So when you hear it, it sounds like you or you gar- garble and then you play it forwards and you get the words. So on the album in the song Meet City, <laughs> Apparently, one of his favorite sort of uh, throwaway sayings was "fuck a pig." Yeah, and that's what he says. He says, he says <laughs> so, "So apologies if you're listening to this in your car with your kids," but that's what he says. And then it's backwards. But then on the single, because he didn't want to put "fuck a pig" backwards on the single, he put "listen to the album." Listen to the album. Yeah, yeah. So he's still yeah. having fun. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And, <laughs> and, and the title was apparently inspired by, there was a popular poster at the time, or cartoon, uh, and it had, it was a bunch of pigs in a car driving towards uh, a, a city, and there was a big sign over top of the city that said, Meet City. Okay, I didn't know that. I always wondered what you know. It's it's kind of like a weird yeah, that was a, weird imagery, right? That was, going to Meat City. So the pigs are going. They're driving to Meat City to get slaughtered. Uh, is, is the sort it's of really dark? Yeah, symbolism of the cartoon, and uh, that's that's where yeah. he probably got the title from. I, I think it's great that he, um, you know, the 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 record company was uh, pushing him to actually promote this record. 
So, which I think lasted, I mean, it ended up being the lost weekend. That's how it started. He went down to LA to promote this record. He did like a, a terrible job of promoting it. Like he did a few interviews where he was just like, yeah, it's just an album, it's just songs on it. Filmed a commercial for it that, you know, you don't really get anything from it you know and then that's it now he's on a bender for you know Uh, by the way i'll put a link to the commercial in the show notes section uh listeners so you can you can always check the show notes and i'll I'll have a link to that um and also to a couple of the other things we've talked about uh so you know jerry's christmas song and uh and uh also the uh, the ep that we talked about now so uh, having been through this album i just want to run this by you so Again, context is everything. So with varying levels of success, let's think about John Lennon's work up to this point. So 1963 with the Beatles, 1966 Revolver, 1968 White Album, 1970 John Lennon Plastic Ono Band, 1971 Imagine, arriving at the album that we've talked about in 1973. Just, I mean, that's 10 years. years. Think about... The variation of style from yeah, yeah, yeah to mind games in 10 years. That blows my mind. It's incredible. I mean, a lot of bands now would, you know, they put out three albums at the most during that time, you know? I mean, I would put out a record every week if I if I had the money. But would you? You you could. You know, I I would put them out, you know. I mean, I, I, I. I mean, pretty much we have something out every year, but, uh, but yeah, you know, sometimes it's just, um, buzz, like if, if the money's not there, budget restraints or, or scheduling with, with the, the label. That's another reason why I have our side projects, the Delphi's, the Bop Fies, cause I get restless, you know? So it's like, you know, if we're if I'm not doing something for long enough, then it's time for a Delphi's record, or you know. The thing is, it, it, I, I'm not an artist, but it, it was like just imagine, because John Lennon was a big fan of, uh, and the example is Instant Karma, where he woke up, he yeah. had an idea for a song, they went in that day, they recorded it. They mixed it. They mastered it. It was out, I think, within two weeks, which for the nineteen, you know, nineteen early nineteen seventies was just mind blowing. That you could, now, yeah. I mean, you could if you wanted. I think you could get up tomorrow, go. I got this idea for a song. Record it at your house, mix it and master it. Have it out on your Twitter feed that afternoon. Yeah, yeah, you could. I mean. You could, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the the pros and cons of, of anything, you know. Uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that I I can do now, but uh, certainly not as many people would hear it as they heard Instant Karma coming out. Um, also, if you wanted to put it on vinyl, you know, there's a lot of backlog with that. Yeah. I could have the song out this afternoon, but the yeah. record yeah. the record wouldn't be pressed for a year. Here's a great Jerry Legere quote. I'm going to run this. I always love quoting my guests back to themselves. All of my albums are documents, and they all have a different sound from each other. That hasn't been deliberate, but when you don't make your albums as a marketing plan, you'll find they sound just as you want them to. Expand on that. Oh, a good. For I me. stand by that. You know, it's, 
uh, uh, just on a side a side point, you know, Lenin gets uh, uh, criticized for being hypocritical a lot, or uh, you know, changing his mind. But think about in in your life, if if everything you said was being documented and and written down, I mean, you wouldn't even remember half the things you said, you know, five years ago, and and you know, minds change, and uh, but yeah, I, that that quote. Uh, I still stand by that because, you know, at the the root of it, that's that's what making music is to me, and and certainly John Lennon, you know, who was my first huge influence. You know, he was my hero as a kid because I I saw him on the Imagine documentary that my family taped from uh, Viewers Choice. I watched that a million times growing up, and. I could. I looked at him, and and he's just a human being. I thought, well, I could be that. I could do that. You know, you watch a movie, you wouldn't be thinking at four years old that you're going to be an actor because you're watching that, and 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 living. You're believing what they're they're doing. You know, they're those characters. They're not an actor playing that character. But Lennon was a real guy documenting his life, and you know, and that's. Yeah, that's my approach. Everything's where I'm at at that moment. You know, you don't overthink it, as as Tim Bovacani says, when you think you stink. So, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, I, I I like that. It's a it's a great quote and a very Lennon philosophy like, if I may. Right. Yeah. All my albums are documents, and they all have a different sound from each other. And just to go back to. Just think about how that worked for John Lennon, right? Right. From With the Beatles in 1963 to Revolver, White Album, John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band, Mind Games, all different. Yeah. They were all documents. I uh, just want to talk a little bit about a couple of other things before we wrap things up. Cover art. Uh, Lennon designed the artwork for Mind Games himself, uh, for better or worse. Uh, the front cover pictures him alone in a wilderness overshadowed by a mountain-sized rendering of Yoko Ono. That was a Bob Gruen photo that he cropped that from. Uh, The meaning was obvious. He was adrift without Ono, although her influence was still the dominant force in his life. And the image also featured two suns in the sky, so the the spirits of the pair. Uh, The same image is repeated on the back cover However, Lennon's figure is slightly larger, so i.e. closer to the camera, further away from Yoko. Um, and uh, that's the symbolism there. And then instead of the two suns, you have a rainbow, so maybe some kind of yeah. a new beginning. I actually only <laughs> just recently, I saw the original photo that that's from. I think he's like in an airport or something like that, and he's, he's against a sign. There's a sign. Mm-hmm. And... I think up until that point, I always thought that what he was holding was was a, was a big like black, you know that that black hat he had, oh, you know, yeah, where in, yeah. the, in the promo clip of of Mind Games that was from that like student footage. Yeah, I know it's a suitcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah I always yeah. thought it was that hat, and and then when I saw the original photo, it's like, oh yeah, it's just a it's just a bag that he's holding. 
Um, another thing about the cover is the first album that I was able to put out of my own on vinyl, which is like a big deal because I've loved records since I was a little kid. So like the moment I was able to like afford to get one of my albums on on vinyl is this record Traveling Gray from 2010. And on the front cover, I'm just I'm sitting at a at a a, a table. It's a blank kind of rough wall behind me, but the album name and 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 my name on it, it's situated exactly how it is on Mind Games. Top left corner. Yeah. And in the same kind of font, except I, I switched, I think, what, what's this? Mind Games is, uh, yeah, Mind Games is at the top and John Lennon is below. I just switched it for my album. But, um, but yeah, it's the same font. It's in the same spot. And that was kind of my little tribute because that was the first vinyl I ever bought myself. And now this is the first record of my own that I've ever been able to do so it's kind of my own personal uh tribute to that we we uh, talked about this uh, the last time i had you on but if we're talking about covers my favorite cover of yours you got some good ones but uh I, like i like the one in the ep right now yeah uh, is, is really good but uh the cover of nothing pressing yeah is it that's, yeah that's so cool it's so bob dylan like and the thing that makes it neat to me is that uh you know your your companion uh laura yeah, Proc- laura, laura proctor, laura proctor. Fo- who's a professional photographer yeah amazing of some distinction in her own right um and but it's a great photo yeah and that just came about i i i was i was falling asleep one night and that that, that photo popped into my mind I don't know, just out of nowhere, like, you know, three in the morning, I'm dozing off and, and that just came back to me. And I thought, you know, that I was feeling a bit fuzzy in life. I was feeling a bit, bit blurry. And so that's why, you know, the, I'm, I'm blurry on that. And on the back cover, I'm out of focus because it was kind of a, a, you know, interesting time. So Other music at the time. Again, context, uh, U.S. Billboard album chart in November of 1973 when this album was released. Uh, Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road is out. Elton John, huge record. It was huge not, record. Yeah, number one for eight weeks uh, that year. Uh, Goat's Head Soup by the Rolling Stones. Underrated. I love that record. Uh, Brothers and Sisters by the Allman Brothers Band. Yeah. Uh, Quadrophenia by The Who. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was big. Uh, Ringo by... Ringo, uh, an album on which Lennon plays, uh, yeah, and they were they were both released about the same time. Ringo's went to number one. Lennon did not. Can you imagine? <laughs> I, I think he famously, I believe, sent Ringo a text, or pardon me, a text, sent him a, a, a telegram that said, "How dare you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Write me a hit or something. Yeah, I would have a lost weekend too. You know, seventy-two yeah. and seventy-three weren't the the best years for John. Uh, what else? Hat Trick by America, uh, The Joker by the Steve Miller Band, and one of the greatest albums of all time uh, on most people's list: The Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd was right. out in canada with your can con uh can you feel it by lighthouse uh night vision by the great bruce coburn and self-titled albums from bachman turner overdrive and ian thomas 
Mm. So that's what was going on. So we have been talking about this for uh, a good hour and a half or so. What are your uh, your final takeaways and thoughts on our conversation on the album? Uh, the, the floor is yours. Yeah, I just think it's a great... Uh, uh, I think his vocals or some of his best on this. Um, you know, Imagine is a beautiful record and I love his vocals on that, but but I do I do find his vocals are a bit like weaker on that album. Like I think he and you can kind of hear him in the studio, he's kind of having trouble singing some of those songs where this one I feel like his vocals are so strong. You know, it just it was just, he had some good days there. Maybe, you know, a few less cigarettes or a few more. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's, it has a melancholy sound uh, to it, I find. Uh, I like that uh, it, it has like the country rock aspect to it. Um, it's very of its time where the falling record would be, you know, very tight horns, very bright sounding. Um yeah, and it's just a real, yeah, talking about documenting your life, it's a real document of where he was at that moment, and, and uh, I have a lot of respect for that. Jerry, it has been a pleasure, as yeah. always. Thank you so much for, Thanks, uh, for coming by, and I'll look forward to seeing you again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much. Jerry Legere's website is jerrylegere.com and you can find him on all of the socials. You can stream his albums on all streaming platforms. His latest is a live EP called Live from Paradise recorded at the Paradise Theater in Toronto. Uh, and if you are listening in Europe as this is being recorded, and I know we have a lot of listeners in, uh, in the UK and in Europe as well, uh, Jerry as we speak, is planning on coming over to that part of the world to do some solo shows. So just Jerry doing solo shows. So if you are listening in Europe, then do go to his website and check and see if he is coming to a town or a bar near you. He's really, really good to see live and uh, particularly in probably smaller venues that he'll be playing in Europe. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, the website for this podcast is romicast.com, R-O-M-Y-C-A-S-T.com. You can find the podcast on Facebook by doing a search for the Walrus Was Paul podcast page. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. The handle is Romanuk Paul on both of those socials. Anything to say about the podcast, uh, I usually... We'll interact and get back to you. Uh, you can also drop me an email if you want to go old school. The email address is the.romicast at gmail.com. That is the.romicast at gmail.com. On the next episode, my guest will be singer, songwriter, and musicologist Mike Daly. It will be an interesting one. Um, Mike will be delving into an album that I've, I've had a couple of people ask about doing it, and I've kind of tried to put them off a little bit just because, quite honestly, I thought it was going to be a real pain in the ass to research. Uh, it's it's sort of a, a bootleg, semi-official release. I'm talking about the Beatles live at the Star Club in Hamburg, and that's what we'll be talking about. There's a bittersweetness to this moment captured on these Star Club tapes because they, they know what's happening. They know that they'll probably never do this again. 
And so it's a goodbye to Hamburg. It's a goodbye to Bettina. It's a goodbye to Horst, Fasher, and all those all those characters, right, that they had been living with for the last couple of years. That is Mike Daly, and he will be my guest on the next episode of The Walrus Was Paul, so do keep an eye out for that. Just a bit of time left here for uh, what have I been listening to lately? Well, I'll tell you what I've been listening to lately. Actually, a lot of Beatles stuff lately, not surprisingly, because I've been recording a bunch of episodes of the podcast. Uh, but the the new remixed and remastered version of Revolver, uh, very, very good. I'm guessing you probably, if you listen to this podcast, you've either streamed it or you have a copy of it, but it's pretty good. Uh, And also, uh, George Harrison's Brainwashed album, which was his last solo album. It was released posthumously, uh, produced by Jeff Lynne and his son, Danny. I hadn't listened to that one in quite a bit, uh, but I gave it a spin. I was prompted to when I heard Chris Shaw talking about it on his excellent podcast, I Am The Egg Pod. George would have turned 80 this year. So they were talking about that album. So I went back and and gave it a listen. Non-Beatles stuff, sort of, um, but even it has a bit of a Beatle tinge to it. If you haven't heard it yet, do give a listen to jazz pianist Brad Meldow's amazing album called Your Mother Should Know, Brad Meldow Plays the Beatles. If you're not familiar with Brad... You could make a strong case for him being the greatest living jazz pianist. He is outstanding. Uh, And he's always been influenced by a lot of popular music as well as jazz. He's done covers in the past of Blackbird. Uh, He does a great cover of uh, a couple of Nick Drake songs. So... You know, it's it's not brand new ground for him, but it's the first time he's he's done an entire album or almost an entire album. Uh, it is just outstanding, creative, and fantastic interpretations of ten Beatles tracks, all on piano, uh, plus a cover of David Bowie's "Life on Mars." So that is Brad Meldow plays the Beatles. Your mother should know. Uh, that is my recommendation this week. Don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast, a donation is always appreciated. Click on the player or go to the website to do that. Positive reviews and shares on your social channels also help out. That is it for now. I'm Paul Romanuk. Pleasure, as always. You take care. One, two, three, four. Do you ever get tired of being Beatles? 